Hello, everybody. So this is Modern Moms Wellness Podcast with Renata, and that's me, and then Jenna, who is the co-host. And we're excited to get on our second topic, second episode of the season, which is um, the shortcomings of postpartum, which I think, and Jenna, I know can agree, is is a, a very crucial topic to discuss. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. I think that there's, there, this is just another topic that's not being talked about enough. Um, and I think, you know, with all the, the struggles that moms go through, I think this is something that we owe to all moms to, to, you know, step it up and to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, um, I'm going to go into just a couple statistics um to kind of start and see like where we can kind of branch off of that because i know we have a lot to say so uh basically uh only 14 percent of american workers have access to paid leave um an additional surprise so many is that the family and medical leave act is not universal so only or so 40 percent of americans do not qualify so that's pretty crappy that you know you're going into something that naturally happens to our bodies and you can't get the help during and after. Um, there's also one in four women return to work just 10 days after giving birth. That is extremely quick. Imagine if you had a C-section and, you know, when they tell you that doctor's orders want you to be, you know, off your feet and not doing crazy things for six weeks. So imagine going back to work for 10, you know, for 10 days. Um, here's another one. Employers are not required to offer paid maternity leave. So the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act allows up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave for new parents. However, only about half of all working women are eligible for FMLA benefits. Um, so once again, you know, you aren't getting the help that you need, the benefits that you need, the money you need. The, I mean, this is you got another thing you got to pay for. <laughs> like This is not just, yeah, like this is a human being. So... And then um, in postpartum positive countries, the amount of parental leave ranges. So from weeks to months to even a year, but it is a law there. So there, there's laws in place in other countries that give them up to potentially a year of postpartum care. So I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, so, so anyways, so I thought those were some few statistics that I wanted to kind of start off it with. And um, yeah, if you have anything to, to branch off of that. Yeah, I um, so I thought it was really interesting looking into what other countries offer. Mm -hmm. And so um, I also found that some other countries, they, they offer up to a year. Um, so there's places like the Netherlands where they have continuous care for a week at home. And that's for women who have had normal births. Um, and then they also have the option to go to centers um, for mm -hmm. care. And then another place is Norway, where maternity centers are established near hospitals, and they're kind of like hotel-like environments. Oh, wow. Okay. Newborns and their families can go and they can stay for postpartum care. And similar to Taiwan, where new mothers can stay in um, private maternity centers where they can be taken care of by nurses. And then in China, I feel like um, this is maybe the most well-known 
um, yeah. situation in China, they call it the sitting month, where they're at home um, for a month being taken care of by family members. Um, and if they don't have family members to take care of them, they can hire uh, professional nurses to help during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's, and in other places, they have up to a year where they're being, um, where they're being offered paternity leave and they're getting more regular check-ins after. Yeah. Yeah. Other Asian countries like Japan and Korea, they do that sitting month and Mexico as well. In Mexico, they call it the quarantina, which just basically means quarantine. Um, So like, I kind of see the point of that, of like resting and relaxing and getting back to health. But then you kind of ask like seclusion, you know, is that always better? But like the postpartum care is better. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see. And I also saw France offers in-home postpartum care and all women automatically receive a referral for pelvic floor therapy. Wow. So, yeah. So that was really cool too. Um, but yeah, so do you have any other countries that you looked into or? Uh, no, there weren't any other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that was it. But I think that's, sorry for the airplane, if you guys can hear it. <laughs> um, it's too hot to be inside my house right now, but. Way too hot. So I, I feel like that's an important piece is that there's, there's different um, physical issues that can develop after giving birth. And exactly. when, when we only have this six week checkup, this one six week checkup, and that's if you go, because if you don't right, go, right. You anything and no one's going to come see you. <laughs> right. Um, so there's all these issues that can develop. And if you're not being monitored after giving birth um, and you're dealing with physical issues, that's going to affect your mental health. And that can, you know, create a snowball effect where it's more difficult to get out and get the help that you need. Um, So, yeah. And I think it's also interesting that they just recently changed that like that, that was, it was 12 weeks prior to it being six weeks. And once again, like that's if you even go, because no one's going to call you on the phone and say, how you doing? No, they're not doing that. They, so moving it to six weeks is great. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, sooner after you gave birth, but you know, they're not really going to call you up. They're not going to check in. They don't care if you come or don't come. So, and normal um, hospital birth. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. That, and that could be, you know, and then they, 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 they do ask you the questions when they're, when you're there of like, you know, how am I supposed to feel physically? Or you ask them those questions, can ask them those questions and they can answer. But, you know, should these mandatory check-ins be the entire year? I mean, because once again, uh, you know, you're not going to really notice if you're feeling super fatigued, depressed all of this and who's the first person you're going to call is like not the doctor you know because they're not also checking in with you but but yeah so you can ask all these questions you can have this list of things to ask them but are they going to be devoid of that like you know maternal support or is it because is it just going to be that doctor to patient experience and not that compassionate experience 
Yeah, absolutely. That actually reminds me, um, one of the studies that I came across is that there's a difference between what women feel like they need as mothers, the type of support and care they need, and the um, how the doctors and the nurses feel. So that's, yeah, yeah, it's more medicalized, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, doctor and nurses end of things, but um, yeah. And you know, I did also read that like though those countries do offer a lot, and it's really great and everything for those things, but it. I've noticed that still postpartum is still kind of this like, like gray area, like where's the disconnect happening between, you know, these, these physicians and the mother and like, why aren't we focusing more on it? Because even for, um, you know, countries with routine check-ins for maternal or for, I'm sorry, for postpartum mothers do have the lowest mortality rate so that's really great, but they still suffer from stress and anxiety and depression. But I think the biggest lesson that we all need to learn is slowing down, but how do we do that? So, yeah. So yeah. Um, and that kind of brings us into the topic of mental health and countries in our country. So if you'd like to kind of say a little bit on that. Yeah, so I know that in the US, um, we have a fairly high rate um, of postpartum depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Studies mm -hmm. show that it's um, between 15 and 20%. So that's about one, one in seven moms will develop that. But um, there was um, a study done during COVID and it actually went up to about 30%. Oh my God. Potentially higher. It was at least 30%. Um, and, wow. And then there's people who believe that it's much higher because there's, a, you know, it's only based off of surveys that are being filled out. Right. And who um, reports it, you know, who reports it. So it's, you know, one is everyone taking these surveys <laughs> and two right. is it everyone being truthful? Because I remember, right. um, but also, you know, another thing is, it's you take a survey at six weeks and maybe right. you haven't developed it yet. Maybe you don't realize that you've, you know, you think everything's normal. So you answer the questions as if, um, you know, you kind of downplay what's going on. And cause exactly. that's what I did when I filled out the survey after, um, having my, um, my first kid, I remember downplaying it cause I was kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. I felt kind of guilty about how I was oh. feeling and I didn't yeah. want them to know. And at that point I was, I kind of had it in my head, like, how would they even really help me? You know, like, is my choice medication or, you know, seeing a counselor. And I, at the time, you know, I'm like, I don't want to take medication. I don't, I don't right. want attention on me to, to, you know, have to go see someone else to talk about my mental health and that sort of thing. So, you know, that's not the best way to think about it. But when you're only in that conventional model, it's when you've, I've, I like lost trust in the conventional model before. Yeah. Um, just based off of my experience, I had like multiple bad experiences with the OBGYN, especially. Um, and so I was just kind of like, I'm done. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk to anyone mm -hmm. else. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that's another piece. And I struggled with 
postpartum depression. I guess I didn't even fully realize that I had depression until one one year postpartum, which I've mm. done, and it's kind of that kind of happens because you you you're not saying oh I have depression you're saying I'm so tired all the time I don't want to go anywhere I don't feel like myself um you know all the other things um besides saying I feel depressed Um, right exactly exactly and you know you go into these the, the doctors physicians or whatever and like they're not you're not really given like a baseline you know like what is normal what can i expect you know you have this initial high of pregnancy and birth and then you realize you're all on your own and it's just up to you now and you're like well i'm exhausted and they're like well that's normal that you know that'll go away and it's like what What? (laughs) so you know and um i also thought this was really interesting that you know uh depression during pregnancy and your first year postpartum in the united states is twice as common as gestational diabetes and then also you know america doesn't treat it like a standard medical event so basically like a knee replacement for example will warrant one to two nights in the hospital three to six weeks at home with a specific rehabilitation timeline and rigorous physical therapy but yet one in four moms, whatever it was, goes back to work within 10 days. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so um, basically what's what's the baseline? So, and then, you know, PMAD, the perinatal mood and anxiety disorders are the number one medical complication related to childbearing. And so basically maternal suicide is climbing, uh, yet we're doing a better job at focusing on these and identifying women with PMAD, but so where, why is the maternal suicide still rising as well? So, yeah, I don't know. I think part of that is um, the solutions that we have now are just Band-Aid solutions. Um, Yeah. Like I said before, it's like they offer you a medication or counseling and, um, you know, a lot of people don't, well, from my experience, I feel like a lot of people, they'll take the medication, but they don't end up doing the counseling. And right. And medications um, can sometimes worsen these conditions. So it's like, yeah. maybe we can identify that, um, that someone is dealing with this, but are we actually giving them the right solution? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because, and then being your, like the sole educator and the provider of your own education is sometimes dangerous in a way because then you know you're googling and you're not sure and you're this and you're that and it's like you know once again yeah it's just that's kind of like where this episode is going we're going to give resources and options and things and techniques and yeah we have a lot on this one because we do feel that we need better care and because transitioning into motherhood is unique and i feel like jenna can give you know more on that because like you know you have a new baby that you put your whole heart and soul in and yet you still have to take care of yourself uh this experience of childbirth is an emotional and physical journey uh labor is 
its own unique ex- labor is its own unique experience. I mean, labor tests some other stamina and, you know, I mean, your adrenaline is spiking for like 12 to 36 hours. And then you have no idea what's to come after the sequence of events. And then also, God forbid, you know, we have to understand that we're creating the generation to come. So like, like, like your experience is just, you know, you, you, you have your own unique experience, like for transitioning. So like, tell us a little bit, like, how did you feel? And, you know, I know you've already touched on that, but a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely feel like I didn't, I didn't know enough. (laughs) Yeah. I, I had, um, experienced babysitting and even really young babies. And in my head, I was like, you know, I've, I've done that. I'm great at it. I think that this is going to go well. Um, but then I didn't factor in depression, the Mm. isolation, um, the troubles with breastfeeding, Mm. um, the guilt and the shame that comes along with feeling like I should know what to do, you know, instinctually. It's like, Oh, I, this should come naturally. Um, but it didn't. And that kind of, um, caused some, some guilt and shame. And I didn't want to, um, it was hard to, to reach out for help because of it. Um, even for a lactation consultant having issues, uh, it took me a little while to contact. Mm. Um, so I think that, you know, not being prepared, I think that there's, you know, so much attention during pregnancy, um, through all the check-ins that you're getting, you know, you do, you have baby showers and all those things and, you know, um, asking you how you're doing when you're pregnant and, and all this stuff. And then after you give birth, it's, it just, it drops off. Like, Mm. um, so after I had my son, I, it was a normal hospital birth. Um, so I just had the six week checkup and I was in the hospital for three days after having him. And I feel like that, you know, that was nice. <laughs> that was nice being in the hospital for three days because I had the 24-7 or 24-hour support. Um, so that was that was really helpful. But then when I went home um, and my husband was only home for two weeks with me and that was nice. But two weeks, I mean, that's not enough. That's and nothing. I, I was I was in an apartment by myself in a town where I didn't have any friends or family Mm. and I wasn't, you know, people weren't really coming to visit. Um, and I was there for four months before we moved into uh, my parents' house because we had cockroaches and mold, which was so fun. (laughs) On top of a newborn. (laughs) Yeah. On top of that, right? Um, so I, I feel like that, you know, that isolation was so hard and I had been working, um, basically ever since I was 13 years old, um, yep, babysitting, yep. well, I worked always. And yep. so that was really difficult. And I didn't really think about that. It's like, oh, it'll be nice to be home. But when you're home all the time, trying to take care of a baby, like a, learn these new skills of taking care of a baby, being completely sleep deprived, not having enough time to yourself it is so draining yeah (laughs) Um, yeah and and then um let's see 
I feel like the the nutrition piece that was that was big. I didn't realize how my nutritional needs changed after giving birth. Um, you know, between um, the risk of nutrient depletion mm-hmm. from being pregnant, pregnant, breastfeeding, um, the recovery it takes after giving birth. Um, Mm -hmm. and also when you're in a chronic state of sleep deprivation and stress, your body actually needs more of certain nutrients like B vitamins and magnesium. Um, so that I feel like not having the education about that, not having the education about how, um, you know, normal body changes, um, I guess, you know, like breastfeeding it's like your boobs they change so much (laughs) yeah they really do yeah and um so i was not prepared for um the changes that would take place there um how it would feel to start producing milk and breastfeeding that was never talked about um the you know people talk about like the bounce back culture and how there's this expectation to look like you Oh yeah. Um, we're yep. never pregnant. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, my God. Like, a few weeks after giving birth. So um, yeah. I had that pressure in my head to, to bounce back. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And just not, I, um, not resting, you know, people say rest when the, when the baby's sleeping, but it was really difficult because of my anxiety. Um, yeah. And so that was hard. I couldn't relax and I definitely couldn't nap while the, while the baby was napping. <laughs> and then you probably also have like 80 million other things to do. So it's yeah. like, yeah. on top of it, like, yeah, which yeah. I didn't want to do. Like I, um, right. I feel like I've neglected, you know, for years <laughs> housework because I just, I couldn't bring the energy like I couldn't have the energy to do it and then it's like then you stress about that it's like I should be doing all these things but I'm not so no one ever really explained to me like you know the idea of it's productive to rest and here's some tools to help you relax when um, when you are feeling stressed out um and there yeah there wasn't really anywhere to go with a newborn baby um even a young baby there's not really a lot of places um i guess there's uh community groups where you can go together um get together and and hang out with other moms but um i i didn't i didn't think to look into it i was so tired i was depressed i was anxious i just i couldn't i that's not what i wanted to do right <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think I think with all that being said, that can kind of be a good indicator to have more check-ins for at least the first year, you know, and then they could start to dwindle off after that. But I mean, I would say longer, but like but I think yeah. at least the first year because when you talk about your, you know, breastfeeding and anxiety and all that and i don't think we really know what our hormones are doing after pregnancy and i actually have a few things on the hormones because i think the biggest thing we should be doing is testing our hormone levels testing our vitamin levels right after 
Um, like you said, B vitamins, magnesium. I mean, vitamin D is pretty much deficient in all of us in general. So let alone after birth, when you've given all that vitamin C to your baby, pretty much, or I'm sorry, vitamin D to your baby, you know, um, so like check in, huh? Iron's a big one too. I exactly iron. It's all going to your baby. So you imagine you you're giving all this, you're on prenatal vitamins and then poof, you have the baby and then all of your nutrients are depleted. And some people stop taking their prenatals because it's like, oh, the baby's here. I don't need them anymore. But highly suggest continuing to take those. Mm-hmm. Highly suggest, you know, more vitamin tests being done, more uh, blood being drawn after the fact. Because so here's a little bit on the hormones. So. Obviously, in preparation for childbirth, your your body, you know, starts producing hormones, they rise and fall. And uh, that's going to affect your physical and emotional state that happens in a normal human being. So mm-hmm. when you're giving all of this to a baby, you know, we know that it's going to be a lot more drastic. So first, we start off with prolactin, it stimulates the milk production, it remains in the body as long as breastfeeding and it influences behavior, metabolism, the immune system. Uh, and fluid regulation. Prolactin is one of the possible explanations for postpartum moon swigs. Then we have oxytocin. Everybody knows and loves it. You know, that is another hormone that's for labor and breastfeeding. It helps the uterine contract and uh, the muscles contract for delivery, um, as well as producing milk uh, for their, to start nursing. Um, And research from several studies have shown that oxytocin also impacts social behavior. Specifically, oxytocin helps you stay tuned in and respond to important signs in your environment. For example, oxytocin may promote feelings of trust and bonding. Uh, So, you know, that could also, if your oxytocin levels are all screwed up, if your other hormones are all screwed up, that can feel, bring on a feeling of defensiveness and mood swings as well. Then we have our other one, which is relaxin. It's secreted by the ovaries, placenta, and uterine lining throughout pregnancy. Um, so this, once again, it helps with contractions um, or inhibits contractions, God forbid, so for premature labor. Um, but it also does, it will help with uh, contractions then. Um, and then it also uh, softens the cervix. Um, for to ease into delivery. Um, And then it says that uh, it could take five months uh, after having the baby for relaxing levels to stabilize. And this also correlates with potentially having postpartum depression. Then we have around the six week mark postpartum depression symptoms may begin to show um, just due to the hormones fading and going still like drastically dropping. And then around two to three months postpartum, your your hormones begin to reset again. But that doesn't mean really anything because then your cortisol levels are off the charts. Yeah, yeah. So because you have new stressors. Mm -hmm. um, And another thing Two, real quick, I'm going to add in is that thyroid hormones, those change before and after. And your postpartum thyroiditis can last up to 18 months. So should your thyroid be checked for 18 months? You know what I mean? I mean, 
Your thyroid regulates your immune system, your hormones, your metabolism, uh, your cortisol levels, your brain function. I mean, literally, your endocrine system is your, it's so important. Yeah. So that's a little bit about the hormones and how, oh, and then we have another thing. At six months, postpartum hormonal changes in, in estrogen and progesterone should be reset, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be clockwork for everybody. So yeah. once again, your estrogen progesterones are so, yeah. So yeah. for sure. Um, let's see if I can remember all the things I was thinking. <laughs> mm. uh, so estrogen and progesterone. Yes. They drop mm -hmm. after you give birth. Um, and that can be related to that can um, cause different mood imbalances that can be related to right. feeling baby blues. Um, and if that continues, like you said, your you know if your stress hormones are high, they're they're suppressing these other hormones. Exactly. So that can um, so that can cause that can perpetuate these feelings of depression and anxiety, um, and it can also mess with your energy levels. Um, and let's see, the thyroid. Um, it made it made me just think that we need better education on how to how to eat in postpartum yes. um, to support hormonal health. So eating a diet high in in healthy fats um, like fatty yep. fish, avocados, olives, uh, coconut oil. All these healthy fats are going to really be helpful for supporting healthy hormone function and. Um, there's one more thing. Oh, okay. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually an increasing rate of women um, experiencing uh, perimenopause symptoms earlier in life or going into perimenopause earlier in life oh my because God. their hormones don't regulate after giving birth. So wow. they just never go back to what they were before. Um mm -hmm. So that's another important reason to manage your stress because you don't want your stress hormones staying high. You don't want the cortisol staying elevated because that's going to keep the, um, the estrogen and the progesterone imbalanced. And, um, yeah, it could potentially set you into early, early menopause, perimenopause. Wow. I didn't know that that was a potential, but it makes sense. I mean, your hormones play a huge role and, everything in your body. So I'm not surprised. I mean, listen, like I was so stressed for, I started a new job. It's very intense. It's I'm working long hours. I'm very stressed. I didn't get my period on time. I was late by a week and a day and it scared the crap out of me. I was like, this never happens. I'm never late. I'm mm -hmm. extremely on time. Went to the doctor. They made fun of me, of course. Uh, very, <laughs> very dismissive. Uh, it was not a good day. And then I got my period shortly after. But that goes to show you what just a new job is doing to your body. And so if a new job is messing up my period by a, a late by a week and a day, what is, you know, your hormone fluctuation after birth and then your cortisol levels spiking because of stress and then your thyroid not working hypo or hyper, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just too much to think about. So I really feel for people and that's kind of why, like, it's good that we, you know, 
we've got we found our resources to give to people and to to show them but like one thing i really love for my cortisol levels and let alone a new mother could use is adaptogens i've done a lot of research on adaptogens i love them um they're really great so basically an adaptogen herb is something that strengthens the uh, hpo axis so the hypothalamus pituitary and gonadal so this takes time um this is like over time, it helps kind of reduce cortisol. Uh, another thing is it levels out uh, blood sugar and uh, the glucose levels. So if you tend to spike, it can be something that levels you out, um, which also helps with insulin levels. And that, you know, is your helps your thyroid if you're, you know, relaxing your insulin levels and, um, basically just helps that cortisol level stay balanced so you're not constantly in fight and flight. And uh, so a couple cool adaptogens are like licorice, ginseng, reishi mushroom, um, ashwagandha. Um, what are some other ones? Tulsi. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's actually one of a really great herb for women in general is is holy basil. Um you know, I can never say this word, astragalus, I think. Astragalus. Astragalus. Okay, yeah, I was like, astragalus. Like <laughs> yeah, but that one's also another good one for uh, adaptogen. Um, licorice, I know, is great for women. Oh, uh, shishand, here's another word I cannot say. Sisandra um, berry. Oh, yeah. Excuse. Yep, okay, thank you. <laughs> Um, we got, you know, Jenna who knows how to pronounce them and me <laughs> just butchers it. So that's good. Um, you should hear me with my clients. I'm like, I don't know how to pronounce this, but <laughs> and I've looked it up a million times. I still have no idea. Um, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I'd have to check on the, uh, safety while breastfeeding, but, um, I think most adaptogens are safe, you know, in the amount that you would take them. Um, like one to two cups a day of tea, um, right. not taking super high doses. Most herbs are safe. Um, are generally safe. Talking. Yeah, well, there is cool. one. I do know that golden root is not, is that you should avoid when breastfeeding. That one is, so that is an adaptogen, but you should avoid that while breastfeeding to until you're close to being done. Um, they say. Um, what's another one we have on here? Yeah. Holy basil. That's a great one. But anyway, so yeah, so a lot of them are okay. Okay. While breastfeeding, which is great too, because you know, that brings on a whole like, oh, I can just drink this tea and still take care of my baby and they'll be okay. And so, um, another thing too, is that like, obviously, um, we've noticed how inflammation plays a role in a lot of diseases and and uh diagnoses of things is they're they're like depression can there could be certain causes of depression or i'm sorry certain things of depression caused by inflammation cortisol levels can potentially caused by inflammation um you know lots of things can be caused by inflammation so one thing after Two is getting that gut brain connection that like via the vagus nerve that you will really help in regulating mood. So cutting back the 
like eating good, good foods for the brain and the gut, which will cut back on that inflammation and help that gut brain access kind of function better. Uh, so like probiotics, leafy greens, lots of fiber, um, blueberries are really great for the brain. Cilantro is really great for the brain. Um, yeah, like just, just eating really good high fiber. And like you said, high fat, cause high fat's great for the brain. So. Yeah. And, um, something I'd add to that too, is that, um, you know, there's not really much research to, to back this up, but, um, there's some experts that believe that your digestive function, um, is reduced after you give birth, like a certain period of okay. time postpartum where you're not producing, um, as much, there's not as much, um, digestive activity going on. Like there's not as much enzymes and that sort of thing. Um, so that's, so something that's recommended is to eat foods that are kind of pre-digested. So things, mm. stick with foods that are cooked. Um, so especially things like soups, um, mm, I love soup, chilies, like that sort of thing where things are kind of already broken down a little bit. They're easy yeah. to digest. Um, especially great if you make bone broth and mm. you put bone broth in the soups. Um, something that, um, that I've done is you, you put a whole chicken in a crock pot, you fill it with water, you throw in the vegetables and you just, you cook all of that together. And then afterwards you, you take out the chicken, you shred it and you put the meat back in. But yep. your, um, that process of, um, low heat in moisture cooking meat um that's a great way to um cook your meat and you know yep. make broth keep the basis. nutrients intact when um, you you do low and slow um yep because protein is once again essential for uh you know getting the brain working well and you know your muscles and stuff so uh yeah like i love making soup. It's like one of my favorite things. It's so easy, literally throw everything in a pot and let it do its thing. And you have a great, healthy, nutrient balanced meal. Same with chili. Chili is one of the, the best things to cook too, when you're just, you know, you need to eat chop full of nutrients and compounds in one bowl. You have chili soup, stews, lots of good meat and protein. That's another one, stew, because once again, low and slow. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And uh, one thing I also like to make for myself is a is a chelator smoothie. So it's um, bananas, oat milk, um, blueberries, cilantro, and I add coconut sh uh, shavings in there, and then a little bit of chia seeds and cacao. So not everyone does well with cacao and that's okay but i like it sometimes in the morning time and it also helps the brain natural caffeination um but blueberries and cilantro are chelators so they help remove the heavy metals from your brain but they also will help reduce that inflammation and and their antioxidants so they they boost the um the brain function, so less brain fog, good mental clarity, cognitive function, and yeah, so that's a that's a powerhouse smoothie for like the morning time, and it's quick and easy, and yeah, everything can just be thrown in a blender and good to go. Nice. Um, so you do um, a protein with that? 
Uh, I do like, oh yeah, so I add oats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I oh. forgot about that. I do oat milk. I do oat milk and oats. Yep. So um, can I get, it's it's chunky. Well, not chunky, but it's, you know, it's thick, but uh, it's, yeah, it's one of my favorite smoothies to make and it's, it's good. It's high in protein and everything too. I do want to add in sometimes like just adding in a protein, but I haven't found one that I love yet. So I'm still on the search. Yeah. Um, difficult um i add um sun butter like a bunch of sun butter oh yeah hemp hearts are actually really oh great, yeah um, for protein so if you i think three scoops three tablespoons is maybe 10 grams of protein um love hemp hearts so yeah i do that with flax flax seed or flax meal chia chia seed meal and love chia and yeah because um yeah, that's usually what I do in my smoothie in the morning with some um, fruits too, some berries. But love um, that. Yeah, it's. I mean, things too, like in postpartum, you know, right. you don't have to do. You don't have to do too much. <laughs> right. Um, I and I think it goes back to what you said. You, you like when you were like, um, you know, I didn't. I felt guilty for how I was feeling and like what I was and wasn't doing. And it's like we don't have to feel guilty if we only can make a smoothie. You know, if that's what you can eat, mm-hmm. eat that because it's if as long as you jam pack it with nutrients, like if that's what you can do, then that's what you can do. So we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, oh, and one thing too is, as I know you mentioned this too, is the vitamins. Like um, we need to get our vitamins back, uh, like mood regulating neurotransmitters and, you know, those need to get those need to start balancing out after pregnancy. So that's folate, more folate adding into your diet, vitamin D, iron, as you said, uh, selenium, zinc, fatty acids, as you said, um, and collagen too. Collagen can be really great for, uh, you know, rebuilding the tissues, helping with postpartum hair loss, um, helping with, uh, you know, reducing uh, postpartum depression. So collagen is a big thing that people can start adding into their diet too after birth. So thank you for listening in on part one of the shortcomings of postpartum maternal care. Stay tuned for part two, where we discuss more solutions for filling the gaps of postpartum care. We have a lot more to say on this topic. Stay in the loop through our Instagram, which is modernmomswellness underscore podcast. Our RSS link is posted in our bio, as well as you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please don't hesitate to DM us with questions, thoughts, and feedback. We'd love to hear, especially if you have any ideas on topics we should discuss. Thanks.